Hello! Thanks for downloading this podcast. Just a quick note to say that we've changed the name from Fight Back to the next round. We think the new title gives a more future-facing angle to our conversations with marketing and business leaders as they chat to us about the next round for their businesses. Enjoy this episode and make sure to subscribe. We're planning Series 3 now and it should be with you later this year. This is Fight Back, the innovation podcast. Hello! Welcome to Fight Back. I'm your host, Robin Charney. Fightback is a business innovation podcast all about those doing what I think is the hardest job in corporate innovation today, transforming heritage businesses from the inside. Today, my guest is someone who has had some amazing stories to tell about how you transform some of our oldest and most risk-averse institutions, banks. He helps build standalone digital businesses inside that West to deliver new revenue streams and growth. He's been working in financial services for most of his career, where he's helped build innovation functions as well as running M&A transactions. Please welcome Jeremy Smith to Fight Back. Hi, Jeremy. Hi. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. Good. And and thank you for inviting me on the show. It's great to be here with you today. You're very welcome. Just to kick off, Jeremy, could you tell me a bit more about what you do in your current role and more importantly, what Fight Back you think NatWest is in? Sure. So my role, I guess, is split into two parts. The first is the fact that I look after our smaller ventures, and I also run our venture management team. So our smaller ventures, we've grown from scratch. They're 100% owned, and I spend every day working with our venture leads, supporting them and challenging them on multiple aspects of their business. So a really broad role was extremely interesting. I also run our venture management team, and this is a dedicated team that supports each of the ventures in turn and also helps run our venture board. So what fight... I mean, we can talk about NetWest specifically or the banking industry in general, but I'd love to understand a bit more about, you know, what fight are you in? Who's coming for you? Is it the Googles and the Facebooks or is it, you know, the Tides and the Monsots or is it everybody? You know, who's who's coming for you, Jeremy? It is everyone. <laughs> Great. So I, we've got two or three big trends and changes in the industry that are impacting us today. You've got, on the one hand, driven ultimately by technology, you've got small financial technology firms that are creating fantastic customer propositions, leveraging technology. And a lot of them are starting up and they're creating really customer-centric propositions. And they see the big, large banks as ripe for disruptions. They're coming after our customers. You've then got the onset of regulation and legislation that's being imposed upon the banking sector. We've got open banking and we've got PSD2, the Payment Services Directive. Open banking is really interesting because effectively it's mandating banks to share customer data with third parties with customer approval. Payment Services Directive effectively is mandating again banks to process payments when instructed to by a third party. Now, those changes are creating fundamental disruption to the banking industry. Effectively, it's unlocking data for all third parties who effectively want it if they get customer permission. So that, on one hand, is a huge disruption to us, but it's also enabling a great opportunity for us to work with small startups, work with fintechs who create great customer propositions, and actually enable us to get to market and test propositions with customers really quickly when we partner with fintechs, which we really like doing. And they see the banks as providing distribution. We've got a huge customer base. They've got great products. It's a great symbiotic relationship together. So you've got those two effectively trends and changes that are happening and converging. You mentioned the Googles, the Amazons, the Facebooks. Absolutely. Apple has got a quarter of a trillion dollars of spare cash. That means they can effectively approach any single industry they choose globally and attack it very, very robustly. So we do have that trend. You've got things like Apple Pay. Apple Pay is really taking off in London. Everyone uses it. 
You've got Apple Card with the tie-up with Goldman Sachs. Again, that's coming for us. So I think there's this huge disruption that's starting to happen and therefore a huge threat to the core banking propositions out there. However, it's also an opportunity for us. And we're taking advantage of that opportunity by working with the fintechs out there. So out of all the possible disruptions out there, what what one thing keeps you up at night? Which one do you think, oh, God... <laughs> I think it's the data unlock. Yeah. So I think that for me has always been effectively the property, for want of a better word, of banks. Obviously, ultimately, it's owned by the customer. Mm. And by unlocking that, you're unlocking a competitive advantage that we've had to date. But although that's a disruption and it is a threat, it's also an opportunity for us because it means that we can go to HSBC, we can go to Barclays, and with customer permission, we can request that they share that data back with us. And that enables us to create a more fuller picture of our customer base and actually ultimately provide a very tailored service to our customers, which is at the heart of everything. Everything we do. You talk a lot about um, your venture model. So some products you build in-house and some products you partner. So I'd like to understand a bit more about um, how you use the data that you know is being unlocked through open banking to kind of inform the products that you're building. We've developed a really flexible model, ultimately with the customer need at the heart of it. So we have effectively worked with our customers to understand what's the real need that they have today. And from a strategic perspective, what's a priority for us? Rather than creating every proposition from scratch, we will go out and we'll work with fintechs and we'll partner with them. So once we've identified what the need is, we will do a search across the globe and understand who's the best partner to work with, or is there a partner who has the proposition that we want to work with or not? And depending on that, we will work with a partner or we will actually create the proposition from scratch. And at the heart of everything we do, there's a customer need, but also there generally is a data unlock and there's a use of technology that helps create a really seamless customer proposition. Can you talk me through one of the products or services that you've launched recently of which you're really proud that you think, oh, yeah, and maybe one that you've built yourself? Sure. So uh, Metal is our uh, business bank account that we've launched pretty recently. We've just gone into the App Store. So we've currently got a five-star rating. So that's fantastic Let's hope it remains that way. And this proposition is really focused on providing something that goes beyond banking. So it's not just about transactions. It's not just about recording transactions. It's about helping a customer run their business better. And I think as we start to unlock that, it gets really exciting about the ancillary services that you can add on. We own Free Agent, which is an accounting proposition. And if you start to look at how those two businesses come together, that's a really exciting product and proposition for customers that really focuses on how do we help them run their businesses better. And was that a conscious decision to focus on B2B and small businesses? Is that something in the in the ethos of the bank's history or you know the kinds of customers that you've historically had? Or was there a deci- conscious decision to go kind of SME, small businessy? So I think that was the area that we thought was most ripe for disruption. Okay. So open banking and the PSD2 uh, regulations that we touched on earlier effectively focused on the business banking segment and helping increase competition there. So there was a natural spot in the market of where are we most risk of disruption and actually where can we work really closely with our customers to iterate and develop fantastic propositions. Okay. Um, I also noticed, like, it's because we had a chat beforehand, that you're co-located up in Angel. And I just wanted to talk about that a little bit because I'm curious about what that brings to the way you do innovation, to the way you work, to the types of people you work with. Because you'll know in within the innovation world, there are kind of two trains of thought. One is build it inside and disrupt from the inside and keep everything, you know, in one building. And then there's the kind of, you know, separate it from the mothership, go off site build it somewhere else and then hopefully reintegrate it. So it sounds like you've chosen the the latter model. And I'm just curious why and how that's working. For a large corporate to be successful in innovation, I strongly believe that you have to start from the outside. 
particularly when you've got a large institution that's been around for hundreds of years. So what we did is we started off um, with a small innovation team. We were four when we started mm. and we deliberately put our size off to the side of the bank because that enabled us to start testing things in a very different way, both from a people, from a culture, from a process perspective, every aspect. So what we try and do is we really put a startup hat on and say, what would we do if we were a startup? And then ultimately we're a regulated institution. So we have to have a sensible layer of risk mm. on top of that. But we always try and encourage people to assume they work for a startup, have that mindset, that growth mindset and that attitude and overlay a reasonable level of risk on top. And I think because we've created this off to the side of the bank, it's enabled us to do things differently. It's enabled us to create a culture which is like a startup. When we first started, one of the challenges we thought we would face is attracting some great talent from outside of the bank. And we've surprised ourselves at the level of talent we have managed to attract. So we've got some great people who've joined us from Amazon, from Monzo, from Starling. And it's when we show them how we're running ourselves as a venture unit off to the side of the bank. We work in we work in WeWorks and effectively people are very informal, they come in jeans, but actually it's the ways of working that really make the difference. You know, we follow true agile methodologies, um, all of the buzzwords, but it's the growth mindset and things like that that really make a difference. And it's making fee- people feel empowered to build a business rather than feeling part of a large corporate organization. So, so far, we've been really lucky at managing to attract some great talent. And what we've done is we've coupled that with talent from inside the bank as well. So we look for people with the growth mindset. We bring them into our team and we effectively train them with the best ways of working. And have you found that that's led to any, um, you know, I'm sure there are lots of positives, but has has there been any negatives as in the, you know, not invented here when you do try and, you know, reintegrate it back into the bank or get services from other departments? Like, how are you handling that internal politics side? Because sometimes there is that, you know, us and you can develop an us and them mentality. So I'm just curious. I mean, I know you've had Alison Rose and you've had kind of really good cover from the top, and I'm sure that's helped. But I'm just curious if there's been any kind of moments where you go, oh, okay, yeah. So. Definitely lots of moments like that. And, <laughs> and it can be hugely frustrating. But mm-hmm. you mentioned Alison. She has been an amazing supporter of innovation in commercial and private bank. And without her sponsorship over the last two or three years, we'd have never have got to where we are, which is running six businesses that are scaling from a team of four without her sponsorship. So that has meant that whenever we have a brick wall, whenever we meet a team in the bank that says no, mm. we can escalate that, we can push through that. And that's been really important because, as I alluded to before, it's really important that we wear a startup hat. Mm. What would a startup do if they're outside of a large corporate? That's normally close to being the right answer. You have to have a little bit of risk overlay on top of that, but normally you push yourself as far towards a startup view as you can. And I think when you have that strong view, you can go in and actually have the conversations with the teams in the bank and you can explain to them why that feels like the right answer. And you need to have the sponsorship to push it through. So I think if we hadn't had the sponsorship, we'd have never have got to where we've got to today. One of the things I wanted to touch on briefly was um, I noticed that you've got a set of team values. And don't worry, I'm not going to make you name every single value. But I'm curious, because I haven't seen it before, what purpose, like, why did you feel the need to put together a set of team values? And does it help with the talent wars that we talked about earlier? So I think culture is really important when you're creating a venture and when you're running a startup. And it's probably one of the 
top things that you look for and try and create. And part of that is about attracting the right talent and the people that fit with your culture. Because you're a small business, you're a small group of people, you have to work well together. So I think having the values helps you align that mindset and, and what you're really looking for when you're recruiting into a team. And also when you've got the team and you're building the team, it maintains some consistency as you're going through rapid growth. So there are a number of things that for us are really, really important. And I've talked about growth mindset, and it's probably a massively overused term, but I really strongly believe that that is one of the most important, if not the most important thing that we look for in talent when we recruit. And I think people have a closed mindset. You know, I don't think they'll succeed in the industry today, in any industry, because you've got to be able to challenge yourself and say, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? How can I do it better? Who can I learn from to do it better? And if I think about the journey we've been on, when we were a team of four, we came from very diverse backgrounds. We had I came from a corporate development background, doing M&A transactions. We had someone who came from operations. We had someone who came from product. And the thing that linked us all was that growth mindset. And we've always challenged ourselves to say, we don't really know what we're doing. We're sort of making it up. And, that, and that's the truth. We have kind of made it up or initially in the early Those days. are the best jobs, though. Absolutely. It's been fantastic. And... What's kept us going is that growth mindset. So we've always challenged ourselves around, okay, we don't think we're ever doing it in the right way. We always assume we're doing it in the worst way. And therefore, we can learn from someone else. We can learn from startups. We can learn from Silicon Valley about how people are building great businesses really rapidly. And I think always challenging ourselves to do that is enabling us to continually adapt and evolve our model, which we've done over the last couple of years. So what has surprised you? What have been the biggest or the biggest surprises along the way? I think it's when we've managed to convince someone to adopt the growth mindset. It's been fantastic because a lot of people, particularly in the core bank, who are used to working in a particular process and a particular function, that's what they do. And that's their job day in, day out. But I think when you get them to look at things in a little bit of a different way and you encourage them to innovate themselves and effectively go through that continuous improvement cycle themselves, that's really exciting when they start doing that. Fantastic. So tell me a little bit about your your particular model for, for venture. I'm curious to hear if it's different than the kind of traditional one and how you've, I guess, how you've evolved it over, because as you said, you are making it up as you go along. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the journey we've been on, I guess we started um, what was our commercial and private bank innovation team at the time, two or three years ago. And we were a really small team. And we've had to iterate the model as our original ideas have gone through proof of concept phase, they've moved into pilot phase, and now we are effectively growing and scaling businesses. So because that model has evolved, we've had to change the way we work with what are now our ventures. And we think the model we now got is fairly unique. And we did a big pivot about a year ago. And there are probably three key components to that model that we have. The first is our venture board. Um, Alison Rose effectively chairs that board or she's chaired that board to date. And I think that board sits every four to six weeks. We look at which ventures should we continue to fund? Which ventures should we kill? Are there any strategic pivot decisions, material strategic decisions we need to make in relation to the propositions that we're working with? We also look at stage gating funding. And we believe that we need to starve the ventures you don't underfund, but you need to staff. And that effectively means that the ventures are really focused on the top priorities. You need the businesses really focused on de-risking their business models. What are the biggest things you need to believe for the venture to be successful? And how are you de-risking the likelihood of that happening or not happening? And very quickly make a decision on, should we continue funding this or not? So I think the Venture Board brings that rigor that we've basically stolen from venture capital and applies that to our ventures. So that's the first component. 
We've then got our venture management model, which mm-hmm. sits underneath that. And that's effectively a team of experts who work really closely with our ventures on a regular basis. And we support them on all aspects of their business model. So one day we'll be challenging them on their sales funnel and their sales pipeline and iterating that. And are we really using the data that we're collecting in the right way to optimize our sales funnel? The next day we'll be looking at the product roadmap and the product strategy. What's the customer insight telling us? Are we really focused on pure test and learn and optimizing the proposition based on what our customers are telling us? So I think it's quite a unique model that I'd argue not many corporates have out there. And it's that hands-on agitation on a regular basis that I believe is accelerating our pace of progress of the ventures rather than just letting them get on and do their own thing, which they may end up being successful. But I think to really accelerate the process, having this hands-on support model is really, really important. So that's the sort of second Okay. And what else do you do to help them grow? Because I'm assuming that at some point you want these businesses to scale and and spin out and become their own brands. So I'd love to just spend a couple of minutes talking about how you grow brands. Are you pursuing the disrupt yourself model in some ways? Do you want to grow something that could almost kill NatWest in the long term? Not Not in that sense, but is it better to disrupt yourself internally? Is that part of the thinking around this? And how will you grow those brands? So I think the thinking constantly evolves. And that's what's been really exciting about the journey we've been on, because we don't know what the right answer is. And we are testing and learn throughout. And ultimately, we want to provide the best services to our customers that we can in a way that meets their needs on a seamless basis. So from a brand perspective, we're currently following multiple trajectories. So we've got Esme, which is our unsecured lender that has a distinct brand. We've also launched Metal, which again is an independent brand at the moment. But for some of our other ventures, Optimize um, and Rapid Cash, we're actually branding ourselves under the NatWest brand. Because the NatWest brand is super powerful. Mm. A lot of people say it's a large corporate bank, but actually the NatWest app is one of the best apps in the UK today and constantly receives awards. And we have fantastic customer base which, with which that brand really resonates. So trying to create a new brand, as you all know better than me, is hugely expensive. Mm-hmm. And we don't have surplus capital in the way that Amazon and Apple do. So we need to be quite careful about how we spend that money. And we've got a huge customer base. So one of the big challenges that we're working through at the moment is how do we distribute into that customer base? How do we access that customer base? And I think leveraging the brand that exists today is really, really important. Um, but at the same time, we, are, we also think that there's an opportunity to create a challenger brand and run something alongside and see what resonates best with customers. So you're spreading your bets. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Test uh, and learn. I think. Test and learn. <laughs> Has anything failed so far? Are there any failures that you're prepared to talk about? Probably nothing I'm prepared to talk about, but we okay. have had failures. Okay. Um, we have and how killed, do you cope with off. those? Yeah, we've killed off a couple of ventures mm-hmm. um, or ideas. And I think that's really important because... The stigma attached to failure in large corporates is huge. Mm. And the acceptance of failure often doesn't exist. But I think what we've had to do is we've had to badge it more as what what have we learned? And I think we need to get executives to accept that failure does happen. And it's not a bad thing as long as you learn from what you've done. And as long as you fail quickly Mm -hmm. rather than leaving it for too many years and build too many shiny products that then fail. Talk to me a little bit about how you work with partners to help build your ventures. You know, Do you have a, a slew of developers and designers in-house or are you using partners to help you with the product side? I'm just curious to see how you're working with outside resource in addition to, I'm sure, the teams you have inside. 
yeah, we, we've got a really good model because we are open to all avenues and we're super flexible. So some of the ventures we've touched on, we've actually built in-house. So we've got developing teams, we've got product teams, we've got sales teams that all work in-house. But at the same time, for some of our propositions, we have identified a clear customer need. And when we've looked in the marketplace and says, who does this the best globally? We've actually found some startups, people who are two or three years down their product roadmap. They've already got some customers on board. They've created a fantastic proposition and actually by partnering with those fintechs has enabled two things we can get to market really quickly so one of our propositions we launched from the initial idea to pilot within three months which is amazingly fast for for a bank Mm. and they like working with us because we bring the customer base so we unlock distribution for them and i think what we've got is we've got some great combined product roadmaps we're working together in a pure partnership with some of these fintechs and that's really exciting so we kind of want to pick the best of how to do things in the marketplace from whatever avenues we can. And I think we have the sponsorship and the effectively capability to do that, which is brilliant. I mean, I always think that corporates learn a great deal from startups and that, you know, that that knowledge transfer is often part of why you want to work with startups without wishing to put words in their mouth. What do you think they learn from you? I know what they get from you in terms of scale and customer base and brand. What do you think if I, if, I, if I was asking a startup, what do you think they would say that they get from working with a huge heritage brand? I think the thing that we do really well is we keep our customers' data safe and secure. And we are a regulated organization. And I think a lot of startups, they have a very different risk appetite, which is fine when you're a startup. Mm. But once you grow to multi-billion size and you have millions and millions of customers, you can't afford for things to go wrong because it's just poor for the customer service it's poor from a regulation perspective so i think the thing they learn from us is actually you do need a decent level of risk and control it's not a over the top level but it's a sensible level and that's probably where we work quite nicely together what innovation this is a question i ask all my guests you know what innovation do you wish you'd been part of what out there do you think yeah i would have loved to have been part of that I think we're all part of a massive innovation at the moment. And with the constantly evolving technology landscape, some people call it the fourth industrial revolution. But I think the reality is there is such an amazing pace of change. We're all part of that today. And I think with the different ways of working, the growth mindsets, the agile ways of working, we're in a, we're in a change itself. We are all innovating together. And, and it's really exciting to be part of that. You know, when you look into the crystal ball, and let's go, let's go 10 years, What's the role of banks in people's lives, do you think, in 10 years' time? I'm not going to ask you if we're going to be using cash or cards or, or how we're going to process payments because you know, everyone has a view on that. But what role do you think banks have in the future? I think it's to provide as frictionless and seamless service to ultimately customers uh, and to help them run their businesses more successfully. And that means being at the point of need. So when an FD or when a CFO needs cash working capital to help run their business more effectively, we need to be there. We need to be prompting them so that they don't need to think about it. They effectively need to say, oh, yes, that's a good prompt. I know I need some cash to help me run my business more successfully. And, oh, here it is. It's already my bank account. So I think it's that frictionless, seamless process that is our ambition and where we want to get to. And, and that becomes a differentiator if we can succeed in that area. So really kind of knowing your customers and anticip- almost anticipating their needs rather than being reactive. Absolutely. It has to be proactive and it will be based on data and based on technology. And that's the change that's coming and it's already happening at the moment. So how is that change happening at the moment? How are you anticipating businesses' needs today? 
because we now have access effectively to all their financial information and we can connect to accounting packages, we know as much as the FD or the business knows. And because we can effectively analyze the data, we can create models that effectively work out when they're likely to need cash, when they're likely to run out of cash, and we can prompt them to give recommendations of how they can improve the efficiency of their businesses. So by using the data, by overlaying artificial intelligence on top of that, enables us to have a much richer proposition and conversation with our customers. Why do you think London is the fintech capital of the world? So I think London's a great hub for fintech today because there, there have been a number of enablers over, the, over a number of years. Prior to the credit crunch, we were probably you know, the largest financial hub globally. And I think that has meant that we've had some fantastic talent based here in London. And there's the entrepreneurial spirit that effectively exists in the UK. And, you know, the natural instinct of people to want to build businesses that has come together with that. And I think the other thing that has emerged is the changing regulation. We've talked about open banking and Mm -hmm. PSD2. Um, It might sound quite boring, but they are massive unlocks from a data and technology perspective for fintechs. And they are mandated by the government. And that is very rare and it doesn't really exist in many other countries globally. So I think those two big unlocks are really making sure that we can be at the forefront of technology and innovation. And the the government you know, did open banking in order to foster innovation and competition, didn't they? Absolutely. So they want to increase the level of competition for SMEs. And, you know, it's a huge opportunity for us to take advantage of that as well as a disruption threat. That's been really interesting, Jeremy. Thank you very much for being with us today. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fight Back. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and look out for other episodes where we'll be speaking with those leading the fight back in retail, travel, financial services, and other industries at the sharp end of disruption. If you enjoyed this episode or have any thoughts or comments, please give us a rating and a review. It helps us be discovered and grow. Tell your friends and colleagues. Feel free to contact me. I'm at rcharney on Twitter, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Fight Back is brought to you by AAR. We're a London-based management consultancy helping businesses maximize their partner relationships across marketing and innovation. For more information, please visit us at aargroup.co.uk. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of Something Else Productions. Thanks, guys. See you next time.